Good morning. We started a, a series two weeks ago called Rooted. We are looking at our identity in Christ, who we really are. Um, these are not, for most of you, new categories. We talk about these at least once a year, uh, typically a lot more than that. But we do this uh, from time to time uh, to get used to our identity in Christ, to, to remind ourselves who we are and why it matters and to uh, refresh ourselves uh, in how our identity shapes our lives, both individually and as a church. Uh, one of the ways that we talk about the Christian life is that we are continuously in a process of becoming or actualizing, laying hold of who we really are. So the last two weeks we've talked about uh, two aspects of our identity in Christ. That in our baptism, which is a naming ceremony that we go through as believers in Jesus, we receive a new identity. One of those uh, aspects is that we are the family of God. We are God's children, dearly beloved, who belong to Him and to each other uh, as one new family in Christ. That's our family identity. We are also disciples of Jesus. We are learners who are becoming one with God. And um, this is a process by which God has uh, filled the world with opportunities that we can join Him in becoming aware of His presence and align ourselves to that reality. I love the quote by Elizabeth Barrett Browning who says that earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush aflame with God's glory. But only those who see it take off their shoes. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is the work of discipleship, to slow down and tend to God's presence. Everywhere you go, everything you do, everyone you meet is holy ground. So uh, that brings us to our third identity, which is that we are missionaries. We are the family of God the Father. We are disciples or learners of Jesus the Son and the third aspect of the triune God is the Holy Spirit, and we are missionaries of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's some this, this one holds the most confusion, because all of us can, uh, we have an, an idea of what it means to be kids, right, uh, to be connected into a family. Most of us have an idea of what it means to be learners or students or people who are, are, are learning after Jesus what it looks like to be a follower of God. But missionaries, whew, that term's got some baggage. <laughs> because um, often our, our conceptions of what it means to be a missionary is to go from here to somewhere else to do good things, right? Build a school, teach a class, um, build a dam, I, you know, build a bridge, do, do some kind of good work. But actually, the, when, when the New Testament talks about the term missionary or sent one, it is someone who is sent not just to do good works. That's part of it. But they're sent to embody good news. They're good newsers, not just good doers. So this is where it gets complicated because in our day, um, not only do missionaries have 
you know, the term missionary has a baggage within the church, but it has baggage outside of the church too. We have not done a good job stewarding this word to the world. And so we are part of a culture here in the U.S. that is more suspicious of religion than ever, yeah? And those who would claim the name of Christian or the name missionary. We live amongst people whose only exposure to Christians are those who wish to wage war against them. To those who want to take the nation by force and impose our doctrine and our rules upon them. To those who are often treated by Christians, well-meaning Christians, as problems to solve or projects to fix. We don't just live among people who are unchurched. We live among people who are dechurched. Many of them based on really good reasons and really bad experiences. So what does it look like then to be sent among this type of people to embody good news in ways that are faithful and appropriate for the kinds of people that we find ourselves among? Fortunately, um, Jesus has an answer, I think. He has a posture to send us out with. Luke 10 is what we're going to look at today. Jesus sends out his disciples as missionaries, as sent ones, and this is what he does. Luke 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from one house to another. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter in town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Skip down to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The good news that we proclaim today, family, is that we are sent ones, invited by Jesus into kingdom mission under his lordship. It's a mission that is punctuated with a posture of weakness, dependency, mutuality. This kingdom mission isn't just good for those that we're sent to. It's good for us too. This posture frees us from our bondage to power, to using our possessions, and to being popular. 
we're going to call this um, colonialized Christianity. Mission under the Lordship of Jesus sets us free to minister in Jesus' name in weakness, dependence, and mutuality. Um, I have been a missionary almost as long as I've been a Christian. And by that I mean um, I became a Christian in 2001, and by 2003 I was raising support with an organization called Crew to go to the college campus that I graduated from to help lead uh, a Christian community there on the campus. And my title was missionary. So um, this idea of being sent has been baked into my experience from the first days of knowing Jesus. And I've gone through a lot of iterations of what it looks like to be a missionary, but one of the biggest um, uh, environments that I learned what it meant to be on mission was in my old neighborhood of Runnymede, where I lived uh, before I live now in Cherry Hill. Um, If you've been around long enough, you've heard stories of neighbors uh, way back when, neighbors like Jim and Phil and Mike. And uh, Mandy and I, uh, and the community that we were a part of at the time, we got to know our neighbors. We threw dinner parties and barbecues. We had a lot of conversations about Jesus over the years there. And God met us in unexpected ways and grew us in ways that we couldn't imagine. But as I think about that experience, as I look back at it um, after quite a few years, um, I can see now that some of my attempts at mission we're saturated with things that aren't necessarily part of Jesus. They aren't flowing out of my identity in Christ. They're flowing out of a need to have something met inside of me. Needs like a need for significance. A need to bring my possessions to bear and have influence or control on what others needed. A need to be well-liked and popular. I couldn't see it at the time, but these needs were uh, kind of deeply rooted in me in ways that I wasn't aware. And these needs drove me to not just love my neighbors, but to, to seek to colonize my neighborhood for Jesus. Do you know what I mean by that? To exercise control over my neighborhood. Because I needed them to like me, I needed to show or prove that I had meaning in my life and that I was influencing people, that I had an impact somewhere. This got unearthed in me after moving to our new neighborhood in Old Orchard because I thought I knew what to do in my new neighborhood. I thought the playbook was the same from my old neighborhood to my new neighborhood, so I just moved into the new neighborhood and played by the old playbook. You know what I'm talking about? But I quickly realized that my missional evangelistic playbook, it wasn't going to work. In my new neighborhood, I had um, Jewish neighbors, lo and behold, several of them, who had had bad run-ins with Christians like me. I had agnostic neighbors who had opted out of religion altogether because they saw the hypocrisy and the manipulation tactics and they wanted out. I had neighbors who 
actually possessed more than me. <laughs> so I wasn't in a position to outgive them. Living with my new neighbors, it helped me to realize that my missional impulses were baked with this colonial or empire mindset, this dominance, this superiority that Jesus was rooting out of me. All these things that were in me, they hindered my ability to love, to take the posture of Jesus in the world. See, I had always thought that posture was secondary to message, but as it turns out, the posture that we take as sent ones is the message that we proclaim. So the good news today, family, is that we are sent ones, invited to kingdom mission under Jesus' lordship, taking on his posture, which is a posture of dependency, weakness, mutuality, that detangles and dethrones our addiction to be in charge and in control, to have power and use worldly possessions to meet needs and to be well thought of and well liked. How is this being rooted out in you today? In our text uh, that we just read, Luke 10, uh, notice that the mission of Jesus invites us to join, that Jesus invites us to join him in. It changes our relationship to power, to possessions, and to popularity. Three Ps. You know it's going to be good. I've already alliterated things, so you can't help but follow along now, right? It changes our relationship to these Ps. It undermines the way that we typically think of what it means to embody and extend the gospel. So notice first, the kingdom mission under Jesus' lordship reorients our relationship to power, our need for significance. Jesus commissions and sends out 72 disciples. Do you ever know what their names are? Nah. We have no idea who these people are. We don't know. And none of the apostles reference this uh, missionary activity later. They don't have titles or positions. They're regular folks. They're like you and me. Uh, and they don't engage in mission as people in charge. And the evidence of this is that Jesus does not send them out as a horde of 72 to go in and dominate a town. He sends them out by what? Twos. Almost the lowest common denominator. He breaks them up into pairs and sends them in the midst of these towns and villages where they will by nature be outnumbered. They aren't taking over a beach or a neighborhood for Jesus. And, and they're commanded when they go to pray Literally, the word is to plead to the Lord for more workers. It's interesting because why would you pray if you're already going? Jesus says, you're, you're praying because I want you to go in this surrendered posture, this asking for what you're doing, asking the Lord for more workers as you're going out as workers because you're not going to be in control. So they're outnumbered. They're surrendered, and they're vulnerable. Lambs among wolves. 
The power that they carry is the power that the world uses to make things happen. They go out embodying a power, a, the posture of weakness. This flies in the face of American Christianity, I think. This impulse that lives in me. My impulse is always to lead by leveraging every power at my disposal. Worldly strength for kingdom purposes. I want to gain positional power and use it and wield it on God's behalf. Um, as I mentioned, I, the, my first missionary experience was part of an organization called Crew. And one of the things that we would do every year is we would go down to Florida and congregate at a beach and go get sent out like 500 of us at a time and blanket that baby from one end to another, take it over with our tracks and our knowledge and our ability to outwit you into um, believing that you could in fact die tonight and what would happen if you died without Jesus, you know? Pressure tactics and sales tactics. We were great at it. See, this, um, this colonialism that influences our Christianity says something like, hey, I'm here. You're welcome. Listen up. But kingdom mission, the, the kind of mission that we see Jesus engaging in, says, I'm here. Am I welcome? I'm listening. Um, I've shared some of these stories from my neighborhood before, but they're, they're worth repeating. Um, I think of one uh, neighbor who is agnostic and whose wife died of a degenerative brain disease. And I was speaking to him one day after the funeral, and I mentioned that I thought, because when I was there, that the memorial was beautiful, and he talked about um, his synagogue, and how they would only visit her in the rehab if he had paid his membership dues, and he hadn't for a while. And he talked about his distrust of religious people and his many, many, many experiences of being spiritually manipulated. As a sent one, I have a choice in this moment. I can choose to wait for my turn to speak and then tell him about how God is in control. Or I could listen and participate in his pain. I could feel what he feels as he shares it. I could give less answers and offer more lament. See, Jesus invites us to participate as, in his mission as weakness, friends. It takes a posture of saying, please help me understand. And it dethrones and detangles us from our bondage to needing to be in charge and in control of absolutely everything. Needing to be right all the time and having the right thing to say in every moment and circumstance. The second the thing that we see is that mission in Jesus' kingdom changes our relationship to our possessions. Notice Jesus tells them, don't take any money, bags, clothes, shoes, like, I don't know, if I'm going on a trip, 
I'm at least taking one extra change of clothes with me, right? A little snack, you know? Something. Why would Jesus do this? He's saying to them, you have to go and rely on the hospitality of the ones you're trying to reach. You see that? They will have no choice. Where are they going to get clothes from? They're going to get it from the people that they go to. Where are they going to get food from? They're going to get it from the people who welcome them into their homes. That's where they'll get the shoes (laughs) and the clothes and the food that they need to continue to do what God's called them to do. Jesus sends them out intentionally, needing to receive from others, not just give to others. This is a losing strategy. (laughs) If you presented this strategy to any um, church planting network or mission board anywhere in in North America and probably around the world and said, listen, here's my strategy. I'm going to go into this city and I'm not going to take anything with me. And I'm going to go door to door and say, please help me as a beggar. Will you fund me to do this? I guarantee those denominational leaders will say, are you out of your mind? <laughs> like, we got to send you with all the best stuff. we got to give you a building and a sound system and great st- skinny jeans and clothes and, um, you know, all, barbecues and the best food. Like, you got to go and be winsome and overwhelming in your generosity. That's a winning strategy. It's this this, um, conception that we have that to be a missionary means to to come into a place and say, here, take this. I have what you need. I remember um, uh, we were invited, our church was invited at one point to to do a day of service with another local community, which will remain unnamed. but we were invited to come and to serve in these like 20 different locations that they had identified as places of need. The only stipulation was that if we agreed to come, we had to go first to their church, we had to pick up t-shirts with their church's name on it, go into these places bearing their brand, serve for a couple hours, and then come back to their campus and share all the wonderful things that God had done. Out there are the poor, the unchristians, the needy, and it's our job to rally the troops, gather what they need, do it with fanfare and with branding, and then celebrate how stinking good we are for doing it. Jesus points to a different way. Jesus says, yes, give money away, but something happens when we open up space to be in need of other people, and say, can you help me, rather than just me help you? We open up spaces of mutuality and interdependence, rather than just dependency. It's hard for us, though, I think. It's hard for us to say to non-Christians, I actually need your help, though. Will you help me? But this is what Jesus says will be the hallmark of the kind of missionaries that he sends. 
Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, yeah, when you go into a place, heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. But that's not all he says. He says, whenever you enter a town, eat whatever is offered to you. You're giving and receiving. This is God's kingdom as it comes to you too. Um, recently, we, we did our, like, we had Halloween and we do trick-or-treating and um, our family always does like a big thing for uh, trick-or-treating and we have kids that come from all over the neighborhood because we do like full-sized candy bars and hot dogs and water and hot chocolate and s'mores and like, so now like kids flock to, uh, to our house. And it was a bit of a slow Halloween to start with. We didn't have that many people. I was like, man, we're, we're going to have more than enough. We're going to have like extras and figure out like what to do with all these hot dogs. Well, then like 6 o'clock at night, we, I see this like horde. It's like the zombie apocalypse coming down Elbow Lane. And they, don't have, I'm, they probably have pitchforks because they're all dressed as like, you know, um, monsters and things. Um, but they come down they like descend on our house. And all of a sudden, we like run out of everything. And I've got kids like, and their, and their parents now who know that we have hot dogs. We've become like this, this, uh, this respite uh, for families as they go through the neighborhood because they go out before they've had dinner and they're out late because the kids want to fill a whole like pillow sack with, uh, with, with candy. So the parents have brought their kids down looking for a hot dog and water and we've run out. <laughs> so what do you do in that situation? I, I couldn't go to the store. Well, I, what had ended up happening is our, our neighbor across the street who happened to be there and hear that these families were coming and hungry, she goes, I have some hot dogs. And an, another sa- neighbor said, yeah, I have some too. But I don't have uh, hot dog rolls. I've got like hoagie rolls. I don't care. Get it. The other neighbor's like, I don't have any hoagie rolls either, but we have bread. I was like, I don't, go ahead. Like, l- l- so like three different neighbors end up like coming to our house, cooking hot dogs, serving it on like soggy bread to grateful kids and moms who were starving. Um, but they ended up meeting needs that I couldn't meet by myself. I saw the kingdom of God show up at my doorstep through my neighbors who I've been trying to bless and reach for six years. I was in need and they helped meet that need and helped meet others' needs. This is how the kingdom of God works. Oftentimes people participate in God's kingdom in ways that are meaningful for them to give and not just receive. And then they learn later on that Jesus gave them the impulse to do that giving. That he's been the one inviting them into it all along. Friends, Jesus invites us into his mission, all of us, believers and non-believers alike. The spiritual power of dependency and relying on others. This is what sets us free from our addiction to being benevolent, to having the resources to give away, to actually say, will you help me? You get to be part of this mission too. The third is that um, we see in this text, Jesus reorders our relationship to 
power, possessions, and last to popularity. To popularity. Notice Jesus' ministry that he sends his disciples on is thoroughly unremarkable and quiet. There's no shofar getting blown, you know. Uh, There's no 20,000 pamphlets that are being mailed to Samaria before they go in. There's no billboard about the cool new church that's about to pop up like a nightclub. I just learned that that's a thing. They, no, they, they aren't even to talk to people along the way. Jesus said, don't talk to anybody until you get there. And they're to stay with whoever is the first person to greet them. Don't go from house to house making a name for yourself. You see that? Be unknown. And not everyone is going to like you. <laughs> Some are going to reject you, and that's okay. You don't need to convince them. Just shake the dust and move on. You don't have to be in control of that. Later, Jesus draws their attention to the fact that their names are written in heaven. And what he's saying to them is, you're you're oriented rightly to my Father. You don't need acclaim. You don't need the accolades of the towns that you go to. Just love them anonymously. You don't have to put a shirt on that says Jesus to do it. Just go and do it. Because you're rightly connected to the Father. See, this uh, colonial Christian impulse is different than this. It's, it's this get a name and a face and a platform. You need a radio ministry and a makeup person and a producer. You need people to make you look good. You need a big budget and a big arena and lots of money and a great sound system and hire the best musicians and the best technicians because it all needs to look good if you're going to attract as many people as possible. But Jesus' kingdom mission looks different than this. It says, don't look at us. We're not cool. We're not smart. We don't need to be the funnest, hippest place. We don't need to have the best-looking family or the best-looking website. We don't need to be the cool kids. See, uh, when I'm hanging out with my neighbors, Jewish people, agnostics, some people that are sort of uh, generally spiritual, but you can't really pin them down anywhere, none of them see the fact that I lead a church as something that is directly beneficial to their lives. In fact, it's, it's usually the opposite. They know that I'm a professional Christian, and so they immediately have their guard up. They have walls up and barriers up, and they're, they're wondering, like, when am I going to tur- like, do the Jesus juke on them? Because they're used to people like me treating people like them as spiritual conquests rather than friends. I I have one uh, neighbor who um, dated a, what did she call him? A born-again evangelical Christian. I think she used all of those words in that order. Um, At one point, and she went to his church 
and um, felt like from the moment that she got out of her car in the parking lot that she had the attention of absolutely everybody on her. She couldn't move anywhere in the, the space without being identified as somebody who was a potential convert member um, project. She said she never went back. Um, and she wanted to know if our church was like that. <laughs> now, it, I want to represent our church well, right? And I want to say to her, like, we're not like that at all, you know? Here's 20 ways that we're different from that. So come and be part of us instead, you know? but I don't want her to feel like a project. Like I'm just representing a brand that I'm trying to get her to, to buy. And so I had to like suppress this impulse to convince her that there are different kinds of Christians out there and just simply say, I'm so sorry you've been treated that way. We have not done well. You're right. I'm sorry, I'm listening. And I probably wouldn't go to church if that happened to me either. We've really screwed up. We've got work to do. See, uh, celebrities claim or crave platforms and notoriety, but Jesus trains his followers to shun the spotlight, to do things almost in secret, to act in small, concrete, faithful ways. It's James 3.13 that says, are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. So friends, the good news today is that Jesus invites us into kingdom mission, the spiritual power of mutuality, reckoning with our wrongdoings even, or the, the wrongdoings of the community that we represent to the world, receiving from others in a ways that that, that don't devolve just into self-promotion. This is the way that dethrones our, our bondage to popularity, to needing to have a reputation. My neighbors are a gift to me. They are teaching me how to be on mission like Jesus calls for in Luke 10, to not be in charge and in control, how not to be... Uh, someone who just gives in order to feel like I'm doing good and how to go in weakness, dependence, and mutuality without worrying if people like me. Friends, as we respond today, how is God calling you into that same mission? Where in your life is he asking you to take up the posture of weakness, dependence, mutuality? To just be present with people without needing to be in charge, without needing to rack up good deeds, to just being with people. In the day and age that we live, this is more necessary now than ever, I think. And this is what shows a contrast to the ways that people are used to seeing not just Christians, but the world operate. Might we be different? Might we be different? Let us trust today that God 
the God who is love, knows more about what it looks like to be on mission than our experience as being part of the American church culture. And let's ask the Lord together, what does mission look like for me? Where are you leading me? Let's pray.